going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Lots of news to digest in today's podcast. The city, province and feds unveiling plans for the new Max Rapid Transit service here in Calgary. Sandeep Lolly joins us from the Calgary Chamber of Commerce to talk about the business environment, post-Olympic plebiscite and pre-council budget deliberations. And we start things off with how we are seemingly questioning everything from politicians in the media to doctors and teachers. Like I said right off the top there, I feel like we're questioning everything. And the question that comes to my mind now is, have we ever seen a moment in time before where everything from election results to, you know, media to everything is just being under the microscope and being scrutinized and questioned as much as it is? I think we have. I think that the the current climate is exacerbated by just the the availability of media, of radio, of television, but also obviously of social media and digital technology, telecommunications. Everything is just exacerbating. Um, I think a phenomenon that's been around for a long time. Uh, there's peaks and valleys to this idea that we can't trust our eyes or we can't trust what other people are telling us or the so-called experts, um, as they uh, said during the Brexit election, you know, we're, we're done with experts, we're tired of experts. Um, so I think that we have seen this before. Um, Alberta itself uh, has seen various governments in its past, uh, speaking of the social credit government, for example, who made uh, their name off of essentially questioning the reality around them. They tried to pass under the Premier Bill Eberhardt in the 1930s something called the Accurate News and Information Act, which is as draconian and ominous as it sounds. Really? It was essentially designed for the gov- to, to allow the government to dictate what the media could cover. Um, and it was pitched to its followers as you can't trust these media people. You know, you can't trust uh, these experts who are telling you that uh, things aren't going well under this government or that there are uh, just that you can't believe what you read, that you can't believe what you hear. Believe us. Trust us. Uh is in in other words. So I think we have seen this in many eras around the world. I mean, in more extreme examples than others, but it's become exaggerated. Is it something to be, or is there something to be said, I guess, in terms of uh, the the way you, you threw the word trust out there? And that was the first word that came to mind. Is mm-hmm. there a way to rebuild trust for those, whether it's media or whether it's anybody else out there that's trying to reestablish that connection with those who feel like they can't trust anybody? I, I definitely think there is. Uh, maybe I'm hopelessly optimistic, which is not one of my characteristics usually. <laughs> um, but I do, I do think, well, I'll put it like this. I think that there's the groups of people, small groups of people who are noisy uh, and are loud and are, to be frank, often uh, expressing pretty uh disreputable and just frankly racist opinions um, across the, uh, you know, on social media and wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, these groups I don't think can be reached. I think that if you believe that a migrant caravan is being funded by George Soros to infiltrate the United States, I, I don't think there's hope for you. Right. I think that that's 
they're, you're gone, uh, essentially, to being reached out. You can't be reached, to, reached, I don't think. But I think the vast majority of, or maybe not the vast majority, but I think most people are not that. I don't think that the majority of people in Canada or in the United States, although it's becoming increasingly difficult to discern in the United States, um, are that kind of just total rejection of all forms of mainstream, whatever you want to call it, establishment, like yourself in the global or CBC, mm-hmm. uh, total establishment forms of communication. I think that most people um, would not accept the uh, rejection of reality that we're seeing amongst the more, the, the, the more extreme uh, proponents. Now, that's not to say that uh, this isn't a, this isn't a problem. This is definitely a problem. That's what this whole talk is about. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing, I think, an era, a, a period right now, like we, like in the 1930s, uh, like in some parts of the Cold War uh, in Canada and the United States around the world, of a thinning between the barrier, a thinning of the barrier between what was once considered fringe and extreme and what was once considered mainstream. Uh, this happens at certain crisis points. I think that's my position anyways. Mm -hmm. And I think right now the global recession of 2008 sparked that was the sort of large structural issue that sparked that. And then there's a lot of smaller contingent issues that have exacerbated it in the United States. I frankly think it's a response to the election of a first African-American president and the deep, deep racial issues in the United States in Canada. um, Obviously we haven't elected our for any figure like that. Uh, I think it's a response to um, an increased uh, fear of the United States, which is the, the you know the permanent Canadian condition, it seems, um, and a borrowing from the United States of a very deep conspiracy industry uh, and uh, uh, culture. When you look back on, say, the 30s or or during mm-hmm. the Cold War, what kind of propelled us back into sort of a, I'll call it the world of normalcy again, in a sense? <laughs> Was there any kind of defining moment in either of those two cases? Hmm. I think war, unfortunately. Uh, I think that um, hmm, normalcy is kind of a loaded term these days. <laughs> and always, uh, I think that uh, for the for the, let's say the 30s, for example, um, no, frankly, I think that war broke out uh, and that we had to, or not had to, but we did take our our responsibility seriously, speaking of, you know, since close to Remembrance Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of forced uh, Canada, at least, and eventually the United States when they uh, joined in 1941, uh, to... to embraced some extent uh, the uh, certain democrat to embrace again to some extent certain democratic norms and certain norms that people believed capitalism represented there was a great distrust in the 1930s of capitalism uh, and i think understandably so and legitimately so and i think that that distrust of capitalism as a system that can somehow uh respects merit respects um fairness respects individuality. I think that whether you agree, I, would, I don't even, I mean, whether you agree with that's ever existed or not, <laughs> it's one thing. I don't know about that. I, I certainly would question that even existing, but um, the faith in that I think has ebbed in this period, not quite to the extent it did in the 1930s, I would say, but it has definitely ebbed And the cold war is a bit different because of the 
latent uh, paranoia that existed throughout um, that period. Uh, it just, it was just there all the time. And like I said earlier, it would be sparked by certain contingent events like the Korean War or uh, the Bay of Pigs or in Canada, the Gajenko uh, trials um, or, or whatever, situations like this that sort of spark uh, paranoia and conspiracy. So what I think... I don't think I have a macro like answer for you that what, how do we get back to normal? Mm -hmm. I think what happens is, is um, crises points eventually pass, but um, there's nothing to, there's not the only way that I can think of to uh, speed that along. I can't really think of a way to speed that along. What we're seeing now is essentially uh, in the United States, especially, but in Canada to some extent is, is people willing to listen to previously disrespect, unrespectable uh, ideas, what Michael Barkin, a political theorist, calls stigmatized knowledge. Uh, and that stigmatized knowledge is not stigmatized anymore. Right. Um, you're able to live entirely with stigmatized knowledge now, unlike you maybe have been in a long time. You don't have to listen to someone, quote, rationalizing to you. Right. And I think the paternalism, uh, I, I don't, I, I hate to blame the media. I'm not in no means blaming the media, but I think that people like me and universities and media figures, um, there tends to be a paternalism um, when, when talking about increase what, what we would view as bizarre ideas or disrespectful ideas that how could someone believe this? How could someone be so stupid? How could someone be so foolish as to embrace these crazy ideas? Just, Look at reality. And I think that that entrenches people further. Dr. Kevin Anderson. Uh, in their ideas. Dr. Kevin Anderson, sorry about that, sir. Uh, instructor at the University of Calgary in the History Department. He's also in the Department of Humanities at MRU. Stay on the line. We, I have one more quick question for you, uh, but we have a, we got to take a break for traffic. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Whether it's politics, plebiscite results, global warming, I'll say even so far as to say immunizations, health care. We talk a lot about uh, the professionals, the people who are in the know, and whether or not we're questioning them at a record pace. And I do think that there should be some healthy skepticism of all institutions. I actually do. I'm more than happy to answer questions about the things that I believe in, and, and even even as the news director here at the radio station, as a reporter, it's funny. I got a text asking about, what, you know, saying that, oh, reporters never double-check their sources. Actually, that's what I spent half my day doing, reading reports, reading different uh, things that go into, whether it's City Hall or crime reports or... it it. it literally spent hours in front of computer screens, in front of papers. So it asked, I begged the question after the plebiscite question was asked surrounding if we had voted yes, what would happen? And some people said, well, we need to question the results because it was obviously rigged. 
It's all a conspiracy. Is everything a conspiracy? And I beg that question. So we welcome to the program Dr. Kevin Anderson, who's a professor of history at MRU and uh, the University of Calgary. And I have one more question for you, uh, Kevin. And you talked about people talking about issues that were historically not acceptable. And I wonder, would that be made even worse now by talking and listening only uh, in your own echo chambers? Absolutely. I think, though, that there's also a, 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 there's a tendency when we talk about all of this stuff to say that, um, I guess some people would call it both sides arguments or whataboutism, mm-hmm. where, well, everyone speaks in echo chambers, so... You know, what's the big deal? The difference is, is that some of these echo chambers are racist and some of these echo chambers are anti-Semitic. Uh, and actually, a lot of these echo chambers are. And um, this exists in Canada like it does in the United States. Um, we don't have a Trump figure yet, mm-hmm. uh, in Can- uh, <laughs> at least successful uh, in Canada. But that doesn't mean we, we, we won't have one or can't have one in any way. And that's the sort of that's the scary thing for someone like me who. Uh, you know, it's critical and, and 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 suspicious of these ideas of democratic norms and capitalism upholding values, but is also afraid of the sort of decline and dismantling of the same systems. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. Uh, Kevin Anderson, thank you so much for the time today. No problem. He is a professor of history and uh, what, he's professor of history at uh, the University of Calgary and a professor in the Department of Humanities at Mount Royal University. Just to, I, I wanted to open the conversation more than anything else. And, and the taxes are coming in fast and furious. It's just something to keep in mind. And I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not we've gone too far down this weird path where we question everything. That being said, again, it is worth putting healthy skepticism on things. Have we faced this before? As Dr. Anderson says, the answer is yes. Back in the 30s with social credits here in in Alberta, during the Cold War, we saw it. Suppression of messaging and that kind of thing is nothing new by any stretch of the imagination. It's just maybe exploded a little bit more because we have social media. And everybody has become their own. They're all able to yell from their own totem poles. It's a fascinating discussion that I think is going to continue as we continue to get more and more more and more polarized in our politics. And the more and more that we are identified by our politics instead of being identified by the people that we actually are, unfortunately. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. An interesting announcement today made by the Alberta government in com- collaboration with the municipal government and the feds investing in new max transit lines throughout Calgary. Three, in fact, they will be known as Max Orange, Max Purple, Max Teal, all beginning November 19th. The fourth max route will be in southwest Calgary, currently under construction, and it'll open for service in 2019. But how does that affect the communities that transit serves. We bring in Ben Morin, who's the urban planner for the Federation of Calgary Communities. Ben, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Yeah, thanks for having me here today. I'll ask you that question right off the hop. How does this announcement and others like it affect the communities it serves? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think it definitely affects communities in a lot of different ways. I think, you know, no, no two communities are the same, uh, so you have different effects, but um, I think specifically for um, 
the greater forest lawn area with a max purple announcement. I think it's a really positive thing. Uh, you know, the greatest forest, lawn, the greater forest lawn area over time has been uh, traditionally overlooked, um, and this is going to be potentially bringing a lot of uh, positive investment into the area mm-hmm. and connecting residents. When it comes to that area in particular, what was sort of the biggest impediment, I guess, when it comes to getting people to and from where they're needing to go? Yeah, that's a um, good question as well. Um, I think, honestly, um, you know, uh, Deerfoot Trail is a big, um, is a big barrier. Uh, you know, Calgary has a few uh, natural and artificial barriers. barriers. Um, the rivers are an example. There's a few mm-hmm. really big hills. Um, and then Deerfoot Trail is kind of an obstacle um, and then just having um, bus service that is reliable makes a really big difference. Having bus service that is frequent makes a really big difference, and I think that's something that can be brought there with the BRT. Is that something that you guys have been advocating for in terms of making sure that it is not just reliable, but also doing things in a timely fashion so you're not waiting for you know an hour at a time, waiting for that next bus? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and that's kind of what... Um, different cities around the world are moving towards. They're realizing that, you know, having 10, 15-minute frequency is working a lot better um, to actually get the ridership out there. Uh, I think another thing that that we at the Federation think is really important is just giving people um, different options when it comes to transportation. So, um, you know, being able to connect with um, buses, bikes, um, car-to-go, driving, all those kind of opportunities, you know, having the choice there is really important. Is this a good kind of starting block, I guess, for future development where we could see LRT in that area? Or do you think that BRT is potentially the, the big fix at the end of the day for that area? Yeah, well, it's hard to say. Um, you know, at this point, I think the, the city has a lot on their, on their plate with the green line. Mm-hmm. Um, but there has been, um, you know, a lot of discussion about land use changes. So um, for anybody who's, who's living in that area, I would definitely recommend reading up on the International Avenue Area Redevelopment Plan. Um, it is impacting the land uses along um, 17th Avenue Southeast, and it's really important to kind of be aware of that because there will potentially be some, um, some changes to, the, to uh, you know, the businesses there and changes in land use. Um, and with that, you know, uh, it's really hard to say uh, what will happen with transportation in the future. Transit-oriented development is something that is talked about quite a bit around City Hall. And I wonder, does this fit that mold to a T in your eyes? Well, I think, um, I think the city is still working that out. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's definitely aspects of that, like they're, um, you know, changing the land uses, upzoning uh, where transit is, is located. Um, I think really what's important for communities is uh, that this transit-oriented development uh, takes their local context uh, into effect. Um, for example, you know, Englewood has a lot of heritage and putting a whole bunch of towers in one community um, might, you know, work well, but in another community it, it also might not. Um, so I think transit-oriented development has to be kind of different and, and fitting the community that already exists in each area. Ben, I appreciate the insight today. Great, thanks a lot. Ben Morin is the urban planner for the Federation of Calgary Communities. It'll be Fascinating to watch the development of these three new Max Transit lines. It's the Max Orange, Max Purple, and Max Teal starting up November 19th. So uh, just four days away now because there's another part of the city that has been talking BRT. That's Southwest Calgary. And that fourth Max route 
which is currently under construction, is set to open in 2019. And so I think there's a lot of people who are going to be paying very close attention to how this one rolls out and if it has an effect the way that they think it might. So getting around the city might become just a little bit easier for those looking to get around. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. It's been a week when it comes to news, especially when it comes to Calgary's business community from the failed plebiscite all the way to city council, budget deliberations to begin soon. There's been a lot to digest. We bring in Dr. Sandeep Lali, the CEO of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce, to kind of go through what they're feeling after what's been a crazy week. Dr. Lali, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for the invitation. Let's start with the Olympic bid, and I know you guys sent out a a, a release late uh, Tuesday evening saying that you're respecting the the wishes of the electorate in, in regards to the plebiscite. I wonder, though... Does this take a little bit of steam out of sort of the the efforts, I guess, to maybe grow Calgary in a sense, or to to get us onto that international stage, or or is there is there something to be said there? No, I, you know, I don't think there's a magic elixir for economic growth, and I think as a business community, as Calgarians, we need to stop looking for fast fix. We always saw the Olympics as one platform to augment growth, but it wasn't, certainly wasn't the silver bullet, right? And so I think what's important here is that all all orders of government focus their attention on eliminating barriers to competitiveness. We know what to do as, as business leaders and businesses. We just need to make all efforts on all fronts to eliminate those competitive barriers and get investment coming back in. That's the root cause here is that we need to get investment coming back and deal flow moving. And with the flurry of unfriendly municipal and federal and provincial business policies, those roadblocks continue to stifle growth and competitiveness. And that's really what's standing in the way of the, the city's recovery. It's, it's not, it's not the Olympics. It's, it's more like it's within us to do it. So let's just, let's move forward and get alignment on this so that businesses can actually compete in a free market. I suppose it's one thing to have one level of government kind of, I don't want to say acting against business, but certainly not having uh, businesses backs in some cases or, or getting in the way in a sense. Um, but it's got to be a completely other thing when it feels like you've got barriers at all three levels. Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's one of those things it's, you know, you, you've got to have best faith that everyone's trying to do the best. And, but really, we, we're we not all looking at the long game. And for us, we saw, we saw grow time as a catalyst to unite the business community into one voice and enable government to have policies that focus on business growth. So our businesses are ready. It's the governments that need to help create that ecosystem. And that's what we want, right? So in the two elections coming up next year, we really are focused on business-friendly policies. It's not about which party or anything like that. It is actually, you saw it in the Olympics, it's going to be about issues and the ones that are pro-business, build business-friendly policies and enable growth. Those are the types of things that we'll see here in 2019. And so that's why that mentality of go time, that swagger, glass half full mentality still holds. I mean, I don't think 
that wind and the sail is gone because it's always at the end of the day people, but it still always keeps coming back to that burden on business, increasing costs, fully consulting businesses before moving on policies. It's a, the goalposts keep moving, and then there's that layered cost piece that comes in. As part of that business development process on the policy side, we want to make sure that there's mitigation for the current and future unintended consequences, and I think that's that's what's happened here is that disjointment between the three levels of government. Is that a reason why it's such a hindrance? Is that you've got all three levels kind of not seeing eye to eye on everything the business is? Because if it was just one, it'd be easier to, to step up because you'd have maybe some backing. But here, I, I've always struggled with the idea of, of blaming government in a sense because you can always adjust, but it's always difficult when you're trying to adjust to three different moving goalposts. Exactly. And so, and if, if there was one thing about, you know, we're a great city, we're a great province, and, and we're definitely a have province, and I don't want people to forget that. But it seems like we're forgetting that we actually, as business, control that narrative, right? So it's not that the government, government is kind of ebbing and flowing with what we're saying. So we need to get one voice to say, yes, we want free market. Yes, we want investment. Yes, we want you to not change the goalpost. If you've had a long game and you're aligned on three years, we can adapt to that. Right? I mean, look at we we signed USMCA with a six year check in. Okay, we didn't want that, but we signed it. Okay, at least for six years now, we know that we have a free trade agreement across um, North America. Great. What do we have in Canada that's interprovincial? That in, that we can bank on. Right. At every juncture, you you grow and you're like, no, sorry, you know, BC can't do that, Saskatchewan can't do that. Oh, actually, and you know, in the city, we wanted those um, developments to happen, but oh, hang on, here's here's one more little piece hurdle you have to go through. Sorry, our bad, we didn't think about it. Well, that's business does not like that. Mm-hmm. We don't operate our businesses that way. Calgary Chamber of Commerce CEO, Dr. Sandy Palali. Stay on the line. I've got a couple more questions when it comes to uh, the taxes and the budget coming up. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Dr. Sandeep Lally, the CEO of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce, joining us on the program today. And Dr. Lally, the city is obviously going through its budget process now. What is the chamber looking for when uh, councillors go to meet? I think what we're going to have to do is definitely be at the table and have a strong voice. Um, I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't say it's going to be a fight. It, I think that City Hall knows you know, like what they what has occurred with the different levels of government within the policy development, but and taxes. What we really want uh, between now and the 26th, as they're deliberating, is to be able to go think about and solutions, be creative. Coming out with a message that 25% increase on non-residential tax rate is unacceptable. Like, if that's the message you want, put it in with something else, this and that, you know, like this is what we're looking at. And this is our target to cut our spending. Um, And then this is what we, this is the other piece we want to do. And guess what? We think this is, we are planning for it not to change for the next three years, for example. And this is how we get out of it. I think people can say, if you're going to put um, a subsidy in, say for the, for the, the lack of property tax, okay, well, what are you going to do different that is actually going to result in coming off of that subsidy? 
what are you going to do different so you don't have to change that differential every time until businesses out of the core are paying more property taxes? That's the kind of dialogue and creativity that we're wanting. We, we are definitely looking for some sense of urgency and creativity from City Hall. And on the long game view, none of this, um, well, let's, let's address um, 2019 and then we'll see what 2020 does. Like, no, no, we need long game thinking here in the long game budget that tells us we will wean our way, our way back to balance or we will do this because that's what we do in business. And that's really easy to relate to. But right now the politics are not jiving with where business needs for it to go. Is there in the chamber's eyes, a easy fix or something that can be done in the medium to short or short to medium term to fix the office vacancy rate downtown? There isn't a short to medium fix. That that's and I think we've been focusing on the wrong thing. Like it's if you look at it, like if you look at the asset the assessment values, like you gotta look at the assessment value and say, are we assessing them correctly? Do we have the right rates, the right levies? And then you kinda go, Yeah, sure, an assessment value is this, but we all know the market value is X and these buildings are leased out. So really it is just the tax base that's hurting. So if this if it's just a tax base, then let's see what the balanced approach is to all of the spaces and all of the corporate tax and property tax pieces that come in. Instead of looking at it singularly and saying this is it, this is the root of the issue. The root of the issue is we don't have deal flow and investment happening in our economy. That's the root of the issue. Let's address that as opposed to going after empty offices because that that is just a red herring in my view. There's a lot to uh, wrap ahead around for sure over the next little while here. Sandeep Lolly from the Calgary Chamber of Commerce, thanks for the time again, as always, this afternoon. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.